0: Okay, so listen, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, very excited about starting this new series with you this morning. We've been uh, waiting to get into it, uh, kind of delayed for a few reasons throughout the Christmas season, Advent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, very significant the Holy Spirit would cause us to wait until today, until there was the time to uh, uh, bring Rudy forward as an elder in our church, that's especially important uh, for this time in our church ministry. So I, I will point to the, the title. I, I, I had to work on this for a little bit. Um, usually uh, creative ideas like that for titles come to me quickly, but uh, one of the reasons why we came up with this title, God's, uh, I mean, Gifts of God for the Whole Church, is because I think most of us have been around the church for a little while. We've probably been in churches where you would expect the series to be called something like Spiritual Gifts or Gifts of the who? Of the Holy Spirit, right? And, and I've been to those sermons and I've heard those sermons and been to those courses and they're, they're awesome, they're great. But my, my thinking is I want to suggest to you that they sometimes could and often have when I've been to them, miss the bigger picture and, and, and specifically miss the four gifts that we're going to spend four weeks looking at that are found in Ephesians chapter four. For some reason, they, they are overlooked and we go directly to the Holy Spirit gifts which we are going to get to in this series and really they're, they're part of every bit that we're looking at. And uh, so these gifts are often, as I said, overlooked and frankly I, I would suggest to you due to misunderstandings that have been taught and understood in our North American church over the past maybe 50 to 100 years, maybe as far back as the Reformation and, and misunderstood in various ways. So one of the questions I always like to ask at the beginning of anything is why? Why are we doing this now? It's a, it's a good question, and even if you don't think so, I'm going to answer that for you, okay? Uh, the, the reason is, um, um, over the past three to four years, we have been, um, we've been really blessed as a church. Our church has been growing. Many uh, more men and women have been coming to the church, uh, families, um, people coming to faith, being baptized. It's, it's an awesome thing to see. And, and as you know, we call people the three basic things. And it's repeated often at the Rock Church. We call people who are coming to the church, uh, whether they're uh, just attending a couple times or whether they're regular members, Christians, etc., cetera, it, is to, it, in order to grow in your faith in Jesus, it's not so much because we're trying to get you here all the time, is to commit to three things. And these are for your health and your good. And they are, number one, faithfully attend Sunday gatherings. Faithfully attend hear God's word, sing praises to God, have fellowship with other believers and Christians and see how, frankly, the church operates on this day. But also, secondly, to faithfully attend missional community groups throughout the week. And the reason for that, of course, is so that we can grow as family. We can grow in relationship with one another. We can go deeper into the word about the sermon that was preached on the Sunday before and ask our questions. Like, "What, what did he say? What did he mean by that? Or, what does that say? Explain it to me, help me. And so that's why we do that. Finally, we ask people to faithfully give and serve in the church. And so my my conclusion for the why would be this. I think, number one, um, our church is getting pretty good at this. I repeat it all the time, and I'll repeat it especially for new people. But this is happening. A great number of people at the Rock Church are faithful to those three things. A great number. And yet, here's what I sense, and I think the elders sense this as well, and maybe some of you. I think sometimes what can happen is this, there's a struggle that exists, right? And for some of us, we understand the phrase, the struggle is real. And the struggle is, is you come on Sunday, you go to a missional community, you're committed, you give, you serve. And, and then it can get to a point where it feels like it's like obligation. It's because, like, I have to. Or it's, oh, yeah, okay, it's that night. And, and it, it can begin to feel like that. And I think the question we have to ask is this. What would put a fire in our hearts for the church that Jesus is building and for the mission that he has called us to so that that obligation would be completely eradicated by a fire and a passion? That's the why. (laughs) That's the why we're doing this series. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the gifts of God that need to be present in us in order for what we're doing and why we're doing it to be joyful, even when it snows, and even sometimes when it feels like mere obligation. So let me provide you with some overarching truths about God's gifts, and, and also I'll give you one ca- caveat to begin, and it's this. Um, e- either be here or watch online or listen to all of the messages in, in, in this series. It'll be important to get the whole context of all of this. Secondly would be this. Today might be a good example of a gift that we're going to be talking about to the church and um, for the church that some of you may be sitting there going, okay, like you know, that wasn't me. That's not about me. And uh, that was 45 minutes. It was interesting, but let me encourage you. All of these gifts that we'll be talking about are gifts that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are giving to the church. And it would be for a couple of reasons. You might be surprised. Maybe you do have these gifts. Secondly, knowing what they look like, you would be better able to maybe, not maybe, but obviously affirm and encourage them in others. And trust me, anyone who's got a gift and wants to use it and attempts to use it could use that encouragement. Mm -hmm. And so that's number one. But a couple of caveats, not caveats, but a couple of truths and overarching aspects for us to remember as we go through this series. First of all, the gifts of God are for the whole church. So if you're a believer here today and you've trusted Jesus for your salvation, Been forgiven of your sins and you've been welcomed into the family of God and you are truly saved, then you already have the best gift of God. You have the Holy Spirit resident in you and He is a gift to us. You remember uh, what Peter preached that sermon on the day of Pentecost and when the church itself actually began. We read these words of Peter when people who were broken, they were cut to the heart because of the gospel that was preached to them and they cried out to Peter and said, what are you doing? Their heart, they understood the truth about who Jesus was. And Acts 2.38 tells us that Peter said to them, repent, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift. Of the Holy Spirit. The the moment, hear me, that that you are spiritually resuscitated. (laughs) I like using that word because when we're born into this world today, we are physically born, but we are born spiritually dead. And when the Holy Spirit comes into us, we, we, we are made alive spiritually. And not only do we sense that and know that, but now... The Word of God, everything about the truth of the Word of God makes literal sense. And so we receive this gift of the person, the person of the Holy Spirit who is present in you. That's number one that we need to remember as we go through this series. Number two is this, every Christian has by the grace and the will of God, not because we want or because we, we, we want that to be seen to be our gift, but by the will and grace of God, a palette of gifts. I like using the palette. You know, a painter, he's got a bunch of colors on the, on the palette, right? But every painter has his favorite color, like Monet. He's like always using greens and yellows. Did you notice that? Okay, yeah, that's, that's what I noticed anyway. I'm not much of an art fan, but, well, I am, but that's all I know. It, it, it's a palette. And so you might have a primary gift. You will have a primary gift. But you will have a palette of other gifts that will be given by the Holy Spirit at specific times. And also related to that, these gifts can change over time. Both primary and secondary gifts can change because the Holy Spirit is giving those gifts. Jesus is giving those gifts to the church and the Holy Spirit is when required and when needed for the church. Thirdly, this is important. The gifts of God are not not are super. What my spirit Throughout this series, we'll answer. Sometimes assume that, well, I'm good at this. I I am. Whatever it might be, then therefore, my gift is teaching. Naturally, that's a gift, but supernaturally. outline for our series. It's going to be six weeks. Over the last few weeks, I've been kind of going four, five, six weeks. Rudy and I were working this week and finalizing. It's going to be six weeks, and here's what it's going to look like the next six weeks. Today, apostles and apostolic gift. Next week, prophets and prophetic. I don't know why I capitalized the TIC there. That was not intentional. Third week, evangelists and evangelism. The fourth week, pastors, shepherds, and teachers. And then the fifth week, for those of you who are really interested in this part, although they will be sprinkled in, we will get into spirit gifts part one. And then Spirit Gifts Part 2. Let's pray before we continue. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You once again for this day. Uh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank You. Um, thank You for being the giver of gifts. Thank You that we can know what these look like. And thank You that You desire to gift us. And so Lord, I, I pray as we begin this series, I pray that all of us would would learn afresh what, what you have in mind, not what we've come to believe and closed our minds to or what we believe and opened our minds maybe too far and uh, to the excess to, but exactly what you have in mind for us and what your Word teaches us. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. <laughs> Amen. So this week, Apostles and Apostolic. I'm going to read uh, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 for you. Put it on screen. I would encourage you throughout the week and throughout the first few weeks of the series, read. I would even suggest, you know, it would be awesome if you were to memorize Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 because it is the context, is the core of what we're looking at in the first four weeks. first two verses uh, go this way. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so Ephesians 4, to 16 actually teach us what the purpose is, what the purpose of these four gifts, the last two shepherds, pastors, same kind of word, and teachers are a combined gift. So they, they come to the person who's gifted in both of those ways. Um, are given to the church for a purpose, and we see it even in the first two verses. They're given to the church to equip who? You (laughs) and me, all of us, for the work of ministry. And so I, I hope we understand what that means, and we've been over that even in the Body Life series for the last couple of weeks and before throughout the history of this church. We know that this means that it's not just up to me. It's not just up to the elders or a few servants and gifted people in the church, that it's up to all of us. In fact, I, I like to suggest to people, this is my job description as a pastor. It is to work at equipping you for the work of ministry, and actually it's a job description that has planned obsolescence in it. The idea would be to work myself out of a job, because the word maturity is in there, right? Until you all reach full maturity in Christ, fully using your gifts, the gifts that I have aren't as necessary anymore, maybe, as a pastor. And so these are given to every member of the church. These gifted individuals are given to us by Christ himself to prepare us for ministry. So today then we begin with what what I'm going to call the structural and support gifts that Jesus gives to the church, the gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, shepherd, teachers. Then we will conclude our series with two weeks on spiritual gifts or the power working gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ray Steadman, who's the pastor I quoted during the Body of Life series, I, I love him very much. He has a, he has one of, he's one of these preachers, he's passed away now, uh, who had this propensity to really try to come up with really almost corny sometimes illustrations about things and try to relate it. He was awesome, trust me. Uh, but you know, he, he looked at it this way, uh, he, he sees it this way. He proposes that we think of the first set of gifts uh, what I'm calling the structural and support gifts, as uh, gifts uh, of bones and muscles in the body, right? Because he wrote the book Body Life, so it's about the body of Christ. And those are the bones and muscles. So every body, every church needs structure. It needs bones and muscles, otherwise the body is going to be just a, you know, it's going to, yeah, it's just going to be falling all over the floor, right? So it needs these things. And then he likes to uh, associate the other gifts, the gifts of the spirit, with the systems that are necessary. So we've got like the vascular system, we've got the nervous system, right? These are things that, that actually empower the body to, to function and tell the muscles and the bones to, to move and, 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 and equip them to do these things. So that's an interesting uh, analogy. I, I kind of like it, but I really like an illustration that he gives, and it's this. He says, imagine someone gives you an appliance as a gift. Everyone loves appliances, amen, in our world today. You're know, like a toaster, right? Or even better, a Vitamix. Can you imagine a Vitamix? That'd be awesome, right? And uh, our house got one, and it's used all the time. It's amazing. Smoothies, thank you, dear. You know, but imagine you're given this amazing Vitamix, right? They cost a lot of money. Imagine you just put it on the shelf there, and you look at it, and you go, it's awesome, it's beautiful. Hey, everybody, I got a Vitamix. No, come on, the reality is, is that with this Vitamix, what you have to do, if you've got one and you had not figured this out yet, you have to plug it in, right? I mean, it sounds... You have to plug it in A- and besides plugging it in and the lights come on, that's great, you have to turn it on. Well, actually, before you turn it on, you've got to put some stuff in it, right? At, then you have to turn it on and essentially you, you have to use it. And then, of course, it produces something really wonderful, really healthy, at least the Vitamix does. Every, every appliance that we have, when you think about it, provides those kind of things. So I want you to imagine right now, while you're sitting here, despite you maybe not even knowing it, and I think some of you who are here today don't know it, God has actually given you an amazing gift, an amazing gift. And the reality is one of two things is really, I guess, going on, is happening. If if you don't know that, it's probably because, let, let me be clear, it's probably because you're really not plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit either in salvation or as a Christian, praying to the Holy Spirit, praying to God, asking for gifts, asking for the ability and the power to be able to help and serve and and lean into things that need to be done in people's lives, to preach the gospel, to proclaim the truth, etc., etc. Maybe you're not using your gift for the building up the body of the church because you just don't know and you're not plugged in. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul wrote this in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He said, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts, read this, to men and to women. So the first key I want you to see here is the word for grace, which is the Greek word kereos which is where we get the word charismatic. Everybody happy about that? Everybody get that, right? That, that grace is given to us, and it's charismatic. It is translated grace, which we understand to mean unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We don't get these gifts. We don't get... It's by the grace of God. It's because of everything that He has done, we are blessed and we are great with these gifts. And so there's a wonderful connection here then between the Karios, the power of the Holy Spirit that will be required for the gifts that Jesus gives to his church. The relationship between Christ and the Holy Spirit, I mean, you read from John chapter 14 on when Jesus talks about, I will send you the Holy Spirit, another helper. And then on the day of Pentecost, he does. The Father and Jesus actually send the Holy Spirit to us. So next we see two key points and I'm going to come back to this one in a a bit, so it's important that I state it first, though. First, we need to see this. When Jesus ascended on high, so after his death, burial, and resurrection, and he ascended on high, we read here, taking a host of captives with him was when? Well, as I just said, it was after the resurrection. So, yes, this is important because it is then that we read that. It was then, at that point, that he gave these gifts to the church and we read to men and women. So these gifts are given to the church after he ascended and when the church began at Pentecost. And so you'll notice that I I have translated this verse uh, to men and women. We use the ESV usually at at the Rock Church. That is mostly the ESV except at the end because the ESV actually says to men. But there's a little notation there. And it's important that you read those notations from time to time because that notation says could be translated men and women. And the reason why they say that, the translators say that, is because the word that is used there, and it's important, is the Greek word enthropiae, enthropiae. We get the word anthropology from that word, which means the study of humans. It's not the study of men, it's the study of human beings. So it's a different word that is used here, different from elsewhere in the Bible where it is literally about men or about brothers. And even as your ESV, as I said, does say this in its notation. I like the NIV translation when it says this, and he gave gifts to his people. He gave gifts to his anthropi, to his people. This is probably a good point to get really technical with you. Uh, I would also probably have said at the beginning of this, and I should have, is to say that this is... Different than preaching of a sermon, this is a little bit more like going to seminary, this series, okay? So this is about teaching and learning about the Word of God on that level, and and so it's going to be a little bit different. So I I want to deal with a subject that we probably have to, we should at this point in time, as we dive into these subjects of spiritual gifts more deeply. Uh, And it would be this. Uh, This difference exists between most pastors, many I should say, pastors and theologians, uh, in the church today and has for probably about two, 300 years when it comes to these gifts. There are a group of, of those individuals, learned individuals, who would be called or termed cessationists. And what that simply means is that they believe certain gifts that have been given to the church and by the Holy Spirit have ceased. They would say they were given for a time and that they're over now. And, and, and we shouldn't look for them. The Holy Spirit doesn't use them. Doesn't want people to have them, etc. And so they believe that in the case of the gifts here in Ephesians 4, the gifts of apostle and prophet, they believe that they have ceased and that those gifts are no longer given today. They also believe that certain gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased, and in particular, the gifts of miracles, the, gift of, the gifts of healing, and oh yes, the gifts of tongues. All right, okay, we'll get to that one. That's awesome. Their evidence would primarily come from two passages of Scripture that I want to show you this morning, and we'll come back to them later. Ephesians 2.20 says this, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So Paul is talking about the church that Jesus has built that is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So their understanding would be that there was one foundation given at one time. And therefore, there's no need for these gifts any further. (laughs) They would also point to 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul wrote this. This is the wonderful love chapter, which I'll get into with you a bit, where he says this, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. Hold on. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, that's the key. The partial will pass away. And so they believe, and there's a number of other things that they will teach from that, they believe that when the perfect comes, it is the finished canon of the Bible. And so their understanding is once we have the Bible, the written word of God, then these gifts, particularly the ones I've mentioned, are no longer necessary. They cease. That would be what they believe. Well, then there is a group of, of theologians and pastors and authors and writers who would be called or go by the title of continuationists. Gee, what would that mean? Uh, they obviously believe the opposite per se. They do not believe these gifts have ceased, but they do, they do believe that they've changed, that maybe they operate differently, and we'll look at that today. So simply put, the continuationist believes that God the Holy Spirit is sovereign, He's God. If at any given time he so chooses to use a gift, can he? He's God. He's sovereign. But it goes beyond that to some good practical biblical exegesis or biblical study as well. For example, let's go back to our key verse for today, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and shepherds to equip the saints for the work of ministry, etc. So we've already established this, or I've established it and tried to, that Jesus gave these gifts to the church after he ascended. But the reality is, a year and a half earlier, he had already appointed and sent the apostles, the 12, right? He'd already done that. And so it's interesting that uh, we arrive at this point, and, and now he's giving these gifts after he's ascended to the church. Now, a significant problem, I would suggest, for the sensationist view is found in the very next word in the very next verse. Does anybody know what it is? I'll put it on screen for you. It's the word until. So, so all of these gifts are given to Jesus, by Jesus to the church until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and womanhood, uh, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Can I ask you an honest question are we there yet no we're not it would not appear so anyway a a further problem then is what I mentioned a few minutes ago related to first Corinthians 13 when when Paul says this as for prophecies they will pass away so again the the cessationist view would be that well sure when the full canon of the scripture comes when the perfect has come then there will be no more prophecies One must remember that chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is the love chapter. It's often some verses there are quoted. You know, love never does this. It's quoted at weddings all the time. Whenever I do weddings, people, could you quote? Uh, It's it's an awesome love chapter. It's really beautiful. Uh, But we've got to remember that the reason why Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church is because they were a bit wonky. They, They were a big church. They were growing. But the spiritual gifts, A, had gotten completely out of control, and secondly, the love for one another had as well there were rich people who were coming earlier to partake of communion and the wine and all the rest of it and maybe a little bit too much and and not, and forgetting about the poor so this love chapter is there on purpose but in the midst of 12 13 and 14 when he's talking about spiritual gifts and the reason why that chapter there is there at this point is to say guys gals listen these spiritual gifts are given to you not not to for you to show off and to look more spiritual than others they're given to you for the the love of God and for the love of the church and for the building up of one another. Then he picks up in chapter 14 with these words, with these words. He says, well, of course, pursue love and look, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Wait a sec, wait a sec. They will cease when the perfect comes. And, and, and now, no, no, pursue this gift. Pursue the gift of prophecy. We'll look at that next week. So that is what the sensationist believes the perfect is. The continuationist believes it's when Jesus comes again. That's what the perfect is, when things will be made perfect. So finally, on that subject, please hear me. There are respected pastors, theologians, and seminary professors. Who land in each of these camps? There are respectable churches that land in each of these camps. And we need to be honorable of that. From, for example, John MacArthur and the late R.C. Sproul in The Cessationist, and there are many others that believe that that is correct and true. To people like John Piper, Tim Keller, theologian D.A. Carson, um, seminary professor uh, Wayne Grudem, who are in the continuationist perspective. So, what should we think? Where do we land on this issue as a church? You'd like me to answer that question right now, wouldn't you? (laughs) All right, let's continue. Let's start, first of all, with a definition of the word apostle. I think that would be a good place to start, uh, that we find in the New Testament. In the Greek, it is the word apostolos, which is obviously apostle, which literally and simply means this, sent one. That's all it actually means. It's always in the New Testament in the small a, it's never capitalized, it's always a small a, although I'm gonna give you a little bit of a differentiation I would suggest related to that. A person sent on a specific mission or with a specific message, one um, commentary writer puts it and I would suggest that's a good way to look at it. And that is consistently the word we find in the New Testament. Well then the next question becomes this, okay, well, then how many apostles are there? Now, I I would think that even if you go to the man on the street who doesn't uh, attend church very often or the the average church attender, most people would go, you know, I know the answer to that one, you know, like Jeopardy. Twelve. Well, you might say that that would be it. Well, some people might say that's what it is. There's twelve. I mean, there was Judas, and of course he betrayed Jesus, and then he killed himself, and then the apostles had to replace him with Matthias, and so there was 12, 13, I don't know, but there was at least 12, right? Yes, right, at least 12, because there were more. There are more apostles in the New Testament. In fact, there is one apostle who is called the, definite article, apostle. Anyone know who he is? The writer of Hebrews in chapter three, verse one tells us who he is. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So, so wh- why is Jesus an apostle? He is the sent one of God. He is the sent one of God. I was thinking in my mind today, uh, or probably this week about, okay, wait a second, is the Holy Spirit? An apostle too i mean the scripture doesn't teach that but he is in fact sent to us by jesus and the father we don't read it in scripture though that he is so for clarity let me put it this way i'm going to suggest to you today that there are apostles who i would call capital a apostles they would be the 12. those gifts are not being given today they were special gifts they are a special group at the choosing of Matthias, Peter said that the scripture must be fulfilled, someone must replace Judas, and the criteria was this that I can put on screen. They actually drew lots to, to, to determine that, which was a common thing to do in that day and expecting that the Holy Spirit, that God would direct through the casting of lots, pulling of straws, who that person would be. And they put a couple of men forward, Joseph uh, and also Matthias. And Peter's criteria for who that person would be was this. So one of the men who have accompanied me—accompanied me, us during, look at this, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, and now some specifics, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. This is Peter, the lead apostle at that time of the apostles. He is one of the three lead apostles that Jesus gave to Peter, James, and John, uh, who were clearly leaders among the apostles, inspired by the Holy Spirit, recorded by Dr. Luke. And so these men who had witnessed, uh, being witnesses since the beginning, would be, listen, the first foundation. All of them. But, But also think of it this way. Not just the ones who wrote the New Testament canon, because not all of them did. Only a few of them actually participated in writing of the canon. In fact, many of the apostles, uh, seven or eight of them, we never hear about them again. And although history does record through Jewish sources some aspects of their lives, including how all of them died for their faith. So next, there is another apostle who would uh, write much of the New Testament, and, of course, you would know him as the Apostle Paul. Now, some people would believe that he was actually Jesus' choice, Right? not Matthias. Like, Jesus had to fix things, right? You guys picked the wrong guy. I'm going to pick another guy. Well, if that was the case, number one, Jesus would say, okay, I'm picking Paul. Paul join the group, and God bless you, right? No, 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 no. Paul was a special pick, but he's not a capital A apostle. He he was special in a couple of senses. Number one, he was handpicked by Jesus in the flesh, like Jesus came to him, and on the road to Damascus. So he had that, that breakthrough relationship with Jesus. But he's also called for a special purpose, and that was to do two things. Two things. Yes, write the New Testament, but also be probably the most dramatic church plan- planter in history. That was one of his key roles for the church. He was a special apostle, hand-picked. And so that's it. How many do we have so far? We've got Jesus, we've got the 12, we've got Paul. So that's what, 14? Are we done? No, we're not. Actually, there are several more. There's at least seven or eight more that I, we know of for sure in scripture, but also from the connotation of some texts where, where, where it's, it speaks of other apostles, there, there could have been more in that day. I'll give you the names of a few. First of all, there's James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, there's, apost- there's an apostle whose name is Jesus, but it's not Jesus' half-brother. He, he didn't actually believe that his brother was the son of God during his life. It was after his resurrection that James came to be a leader in the church, especially the church in Jerusalem, and is named in the Bible as an apostle. There's also Barnabas, Paul's constant travel companion and fellow church planter. There's Apollos, the great preacher, very charismatic and awesome uh, speaker and preacher who many people kind of liked better than Paul. And go figure, people have their favorite preachers, right? Timothy and Sylvanus are also listed as apostles. Epaphroditus is listed, listed. And finally, Andronicus and Junia. That last apostle has posed some problems for people. And despite people trying to, well, you know, it wasn't properly translated and it should have been Junius and not Junia and all kinds of other things. No, the reality is this person is a woman what do we do with that what would we do with that i mean there's only one mentioned and her name is junia well let's remember again apostle simply means this sent one gifted sent one for the purposes of the church the proclamation and the furthering of the kingdom of god by jesus himself so this last list, I like to qualify as the small A apostles, okay? So we've got our capital A apostles, those gifts that are not being given to the church today, and then there are the small A apostles, gifted men and women, potentially yes, who have been sent on mission by Jesus and the church. So maybe, maybe at this point, maybe let me help eliminate a bit of a problem for some of us. It might be a better idea in our day and age today to not refer to anyone as an apostle, Right? I personally don't have a big problem with that, although I wouldn't walk up to someone and go, hello, apostle. Uh, you know, I might say, hello, pastor, hello, brother, or whatever it might be. But how about we lean more towards this, apostolic gifting. One area where I would agree very much with uh, cessationist brothers and sisters, its not just men who think this way, uh, uh, about not using that title today is because there are, are false apostles and false teachings Abounding in our world and culture today related to capital A Apostles believe it or not There are a group of churches in the United States and Canada I won't mention any names if you would like to know of them later I'd be happy to tell you of a few of them where they actually have formed a new an association called the new apostolic Reformation They're. Theology is dominionist theology where they actually believe what's going to happen before Jesus comes again is he's going to appoint a fresh new group of capital A apostles of which their pastors are part of that group and once they have 12 of them, they're then going to bring the kingdom of God to bear on this world and then Jesus can come again as if he really needs us or as if the, te- the scripture actually teaches that. So, so that's a cessationist brother might say, guys, be careful. You're helping to encourage that I would suggest well no (laughs) we we cannot allow the false to leak into the truth of what God is actually wanting to give to us and scare us away from the gifts that he might have for the church today so again let me get back to the question is Jesus giving the gift of apostle to the church today I would say in the form of apostolic gifting absolutely What then would be some examples of that today? How could we see that? How could we affirm that today in the church? Well, I think as outlined in the book of Acts, it comes especially in the life of the Apostle Paul, and it is this, church planting. You do realize that, I'm sure you do, every church that currently exists in our world today was at one point in time planted. And the question has to be, by who? Who would be crazy enough to do something like that, right? Okay, I know some people. These are actually very exciting days for us in North America. One of the reasons why I'm a pastor today later in life uh, is because I I saw a movement of God beginning in actually the lower mainland of British Columbia uh, through our denomination of church planting that blew my mind, I was so excited by it. Another group had started in Seattle, Washington, another in New York City, and it was just exploding all over and it is exploding today, despite what you might think what the news might say about the church in North America, the truth is the church is exploding. Plants are happening at a record pace. They haven't been happening for a long time. Why would that be? Maybe our understanding about the apostolic gift being quenched. But it's happening at a record pace. And this is important. And it's more successful than ever. And here's why. I mean, church planting up until about. 2000, it it was like one out of ten church plants would last five years. Why would that be? Well, it would maybe be about who felt called to be a church planter, who was being encouraged to be a church planter, and what their gifts may have been or may not have been. So as many of you know, we're part of a church planning network uh, that uh, I was around at the beginning of and still participate with that network, and it's because of that network that our family came here to plant this church, it's called C2C and, and it was birthed about 15 years ago with this idea, we, we, we need we need to plant churches, <laughs> don't we? But, but why, do, why do churches have to fail? Church plants and so they began a process which is a very interesting process and that process has been borrowed by virtually every other church planting network and organization in North America and it's this process. Someone comes forward and says I, I feel called by God to plant a church and someone with C to C would be that'd be fine. Let's have a, a meeting. Let's have a coffee. Let's have lunch. And there would be an interview process, and that interview process may take a few meetings until that individual, that leader, is essentially going. You know what? This is a sincere call that you have to a people in a place, and and uh, and and the passion that you have for it, and and I, I can see certain things in you. And then there's something called an assessment process so I remember back in the day when I was thinking about this because my thought when I left the business world is just find a church that's got a couple hundred people in seats and I'll preach God's word. That's all I wanted to do, right? And and then this got put on my heart and I remember praying about it and the Holy Spirit saying to me, you need to go to this assessment. And Janice and I went to an assessment. It was three days, 12 hours a day. It was one of the more grueling things I've ever been through in my life. And the purpose of the assessment is, is twofold. One is to find out whether or not you have the gifts and abilities to plant a church and for you to be able to discern that. Janice and I went to this assessment with uh, seven other couples. Only four of us were affirmed through the assessment to become church planters. The others were, were encouraged that you may have the gift of being a pastor in a local church, an existing church, but not maybe a church planter. What was one of the main significant aspects that they're looking for? Apostolic gifting. Apostolic gifting. Here's some of the key traits. Those with the apostolic gift are, number one, starters. They're they're, they're initiators. They're people who can go into a situation and have, realistically, we all have fear, no fear of failure. Like, they're like, no, I'm called, I knew who I'm called by, he said he would build his church, I'm gonna go, just the four of us, to Squamish, and hopefully one day we'll have a church so they're starters now some people might call that the entrepreneurial gift right of which i used to be in my business life and the other people go well, i see there that's a problem that's that's not biblical you know you can't have entrepreneurs business people being you know spiritually called by god really is that true well again let me point you to the best model of that in the new testament his name is the apostle paul He was likely the greatest church planter of all time. As I said, his model was to do this, to go into a city, get the lay of the land, figure out what the context, what the culture was, what the idols of that community were. He would also bring other young men with him who he was discipling and also training, apprenticing to become one day church planters, maybe, or pastors in the churches that he would plant. But he was also an entrepreneur, did you know that? The Apostle Paul from time to time would self-support. And how did he do that? Well, he was a tanner. He made tents and he sold them. I think MEC bought some of them. Just kidding. (laughs) He was an entrepreneur. He was a starter. Uh, Church historians and theologians point to men like William Carey and Hudson Taylor who started amazing ministries in India and China. You wanna read some encouraging apostolic stories and, and mission stories? Read their bios. They're awesome stories. Those with an apostolic gift have started hospitals, schools, street missions, and ministries all over the world. One example is a woman that many of us in our church know. Uh, her name is Dorothy, um, and those of us know her because they, we've gone to Vicente Guerrero, Mexico, uh, to help uh, with the uh, MS Dream Center. And, and she, I, I believe she was in her 60s, and she got this passion for, for the, the women in, in, in the, this area of the Baja of Mexico. And she was like, the, the, the situation with prostitution and physical and sexual abuse and the treatment of women in there, she was so impacted by it, she left Abbotsford, <laughs> the Bible Belt, and she went there. And she started New Beginnings Ministry, uh, which to this day is an amazing ministry, Um, caring for women in need. As a grandmother, and in her 60s, she received, I want to suggest to you, the apostolic gifting, and she was sent. Well, actually, she went, and she said, you'll send me sooner or later, and they did, right? And they did, and I I also would point to Tom and Sue Card and their daughter, Allison, who also, Tom left the construction business in, uh, in the Victoria area, and the family went there, and they started MSQ Dream Center, of which we participate with every year, um, or most years anyway, to, to help build schools and homes for poor people. That's what it looks like today. That's an apostolic gifting. It is. Secondly, denominational leaders play that role as well. I'll be meeting this Wednesday with our denominational leader, Rob Thiessen, uh, for lunch. And, and, it's, and again, this is like the Apostle Paul, the same kind of uh, gifting. The Apostle Paul would plant churches, and then he would go on to other places to plant churches, but then what would he he do? Well, he'd write letters of encouragement back to those churches. Hey, how you doing? And by the way, here's a little bit more about the gospel. These letters, many of them, not all of them, because he wrote other letters which we never got, we know, from some of the other letters, or we haven't found. And these letters were encouragement to these churches. But then what he also did is he'd go back and revisit them on other trips. And he'd help appoint elders and put things in place, structures and bones apostolic gifting he would put in place and that's what a lot of people who are heads of denominations do today Rob Thiessen was our pastor in North Langley when we went there and he's plays that role in our denomination today as our conference minister thirdly those with apostolic gifting are sent to start as I've already said new ministries whether overseas missions orphanages hospitals again churches inner-city missions like Union Gospel Mission they are vision casters who call men and women to this new thing that they sensed needs to be started for the sake of the kingdom. Now, in conclusion, let's return to Ephesians 2.20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. As we're gonna see next week, these two gifts often go hand in hand. In fact, they're necessary. Prophetic gifting usually is in the same place where you find apostolic gifting. They go hand in hand laying the foundation for every new church and ministry. And those apostolically gifted are sent to do just that, to establish that. These are not one-time foundations, but the foundation for every church and ministry that Jesus desires to build for the sake of his people and his kingdom. May I encourage you by asking this question in conclusion? Do we not need these gifts today? Amen. Let's pray together.